Welcome to the Voice of MPE, the official podcast of Merchant Payments Ecosystem, Europe's largest merchant payments conference. Today, we are at the 16th annual MPE conference, MPE 2023. This podcast brings you interviews with payment industry leaders and professionals from the entire payment world. For more information, head over to www.merchantpaymentsecosystem.com. Today, we discuss how the traditional market players seek an edge in cross-border payments. Chris Jones from PSE Consulting, the moderator of this session, spoke with Chris Jameson from Bank of America, Maximilian Fuchs from CMSPI, Timo Pauget from CMSPI, Kim Lukins from Worldline, and Anirud Nala from Hopper. Learn more about marketplaces and payment methods unlocking the expansion beyond borders. There's some new faces on, on the stage, um, which I'll just go around and uh, allow the guys to introduce themselves before we move um, into the questions uh, themselves. But thanks very much for your attention um, thus far. Um, maybe starting first, Kim, do you want to do a quick intro on, your, on yourself? Sure. Uh, Kim Lukens, I'm uh, working at Worldline. Uh, I represent a division that uh, services global companies, so global payment service solution uh, for yeah both kind of the traditional kind of multinationals that were being discussed, as well as the you know kind of pure e-com single entity cross-border processing. Cool, Anirudh. Hi, Anirudh. I currently lead the payments team at Hopper. We are an online travel agency. We sell everything from flights, hotels, car rentals, uh, apartments. Uh, soon. Uh, we are the third biggest OTA in the US and we are uh, set up operations in APAC, LATAM and Europe. So obviously given a huge need to uh, drive cross-border payments, accept payments uh, from our customers globally, but also pay them out in all the different regions uh, located. Yeah. Great. Thank you. So um, please do uh, add your uh, questions uh, as they occur to you. Um, but m maybe just starting with a quick question that occurred to me whilst you guys uh, were presenting and maybe actually starting with Anirudh. In, in terms of when you look at your customers and you want to convert a customer who's spending time on your website, they've decided they want to buy uh, a flight or whatever it may be, they get to the payment transaction and it, it doesn't work. How, how, what approaches do you take to optimizing conversion of those customers? What, what, what do you see works best for you? Yeah. So that's like a multi-faceted uh, question, right? So, I mean, just imagine a customer has actually gone through the entire process of selecting where they want to go, their, which hotel they want to stay, flights, and they've gone through the entire decision-making. And once they come to the checkout and it's like, say, pay, and it fails, that's like um, literally like, like stopping your customers from giving you money, right? Um, so there are a lot of different things that you can do. So one is obviously trying to understand what is the root of that problem, where the payment decline comes from. Um, a lot of the times, it's just like the different processes you work with. Um, you can do a retrial logic, um, different processes, uh, also like depending on where the customer is. Um, so working domestic acquirers versus international acquirers. So you can do a lot around just like making sure the car transaction works, uh, but also like trying to uh, provide the customers different form of uh, payment methods, right? Um, so if they're bank payment or card fails, uh, maybe they can try uh, with a different payment method. Um, so having a more seamless experience, um, obviously understanding the root cause, but also guiding them to uh, corrective actions uh, helps quite a bit. Sounds great. Uh, Kim, I don't know whether you've got any views on this question. 
pretty well covered from a merchant perspective. So there's not a lot. I mean, again, it's focusing on your consumer and and starting from there and, and understanding your fraud perspective, your, who you're doing business with, what their capabilities are, what the market capabilities are, and then yeah, entering into that uh, also technical element of being able to interact with your customer for anything outside of just the retry logic. Yeah, sounds good. Um, I don't know whether I mean Chris, have you got any views? Yeah, I guess uh, from a from a bank's perspective, supporting a merchant clearly the currency capability is really important, and and making it seamless for that individual to pay in the local currency. Okay, so it's kind of the basic requirement to to kind of make them less confused, less worried about you know, am I going to get charged exorbitant uh, FX fees? Um, so our ability as a bank to then support the merchant with those uh, physical accounts for settlement, for example, in those currencies if need be, I think is a, an interesting one. And they, these may be individuals who are paying by something other than card. As we've talked about, there may be a, a APMs in there. Um, and so the ability for a merchant to collect locally in that local currency, I think, is something where the, the banks can come in and, and sort of su- support that process. Sounds good. Um, Max, Timo? Yeah, no, I think um, I think I see this in, in in three pillars. So I think we we've touched on in certain session yesterday um, regarding the omni-channels experience and converting your customers in offering him a frictionless uh, experience at checkout and and you know the cross synergy was in the different channels. So there is that aspect to the conversion, bringing your customers to shop and and click the button pay. Um, but then, as you rightly mentioned, there is post the pay right and and what happened if the payments fail. So all the work in terms of um, analyzing the auto data that you will collect from your PSP gateways and understanding the reasons for the decline and then um, working with your supply chain, with your issuers, with your fraud providers, um, your PSP gateways to understand what the reasoning behind that decline codes and then find a, a strategy to resolve it. And then I, I think the last point that, that I would just like to comment on, on, on this is um, the local capabilities, right? You mentioned local processing. I think that's a really big, important theme, um, but also from a customer perspective, right? Um, when I see Card Bancaire on the checkout, to immediately I feel I feel at home, right? So again, presentment currencies, payment methods, um, you know, that 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 is all all those sorts of products that, that a merchant can offer in conjunction with the with their payments partners to really feel them um you know com- get them to convert in, in, into a sale. Yeah, and in the in the moment itself, I think it's also about communication with the customer because in the end, they need to understand mm-hmm. that this payment has failed with payment method X and therefore you are offering payment methods Y, Z and um, making sure that, that they then choose a different payment method by actually communicating in a positive way with them and reinforcing them that they are doing the right decision with taking this purchase and um, not leaving them um, with a bad last experience because it might be the last touch point they have with you as a merchant if the payment fails and they're never coming back and um, you want to end this as positively as possible. Actually, I suppose continuing uh, with the first question there on Slido on a related issue about sort of dynamic payment presentment. So um, altering what is presented to different customers in different contexts. Um, I, I, I don't know whether who, who wants to kick off. Um, Anapam, do you want to? Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, it does make a lot of sense to have dynamic presentation, uh, representation, uh, especially in different contexts, right? So uh, the basic one is uh, users in different countries. Um, so it doesn't really make a lot of sense to show like card bank care to maybe user in India. They're going to get confused, right? So obviously first like show localized and relevant payment methods uh, for that uh, customer. Then also you can have like go a bit more into um, 
personalization to an extent that, hey, what was the payment method I previously selected or I paid with? Have that as a default payment option that's like um, prominently selected, right? Uh, then you can also have a more dependencies on your businesses, right? So um, we have a lot of different verticals. We have like air, hotels, etc., and we have different unique flows. We have like pay later at the hotel. So you cannot really pay with a buy now, pay later potentially at the hotel, right? So again, de- depending on different use cases, you also have to present appropriately. Um, so I think like those, I think like are sort of like makes a lot of sense. Uh, now I think like maybe there's a question, maybe if I'm like double clicking on this, it's more like if the same user, um, Maybe like for the same group of users from the same country, uh, should we be showing them for like um, if they keep coming back? Right, I'm not so sure about that. Um, but I think like for different contexts, contexts, I think it makes actually a lot of sense. And how the rest of you guys, whether there's stuff you want to chip in? Yeah, uh, happy to chip in. I think there's two two ways to to answer that question. There is a static way, and and I think it's extremely important to understand the influence that has to put um, the positioning of certain payment types on the checkout page, particularly, of course, in, in the online environment and, and the way you can advertise your customers to select a payment method over another. And you would have seen that certain partners um, are doing a lot of competing in the buy now, pay later space, particularly with, uh, you know, all those click to pay before um, incentivizing to go to a checkout that is much more quicker and faster. So again, there's a lot of a uh, competition on the e-commerce side to incentivize customers to select a checkout or, or have um, um, visibility. Um, one of the recent projects that, that we conducted, um, and I, th- I think that really answers the, the, the question here, is um, in Germany, you know, you, you'll be all very familiar that Rechnungszahlung and, and invoice payment is extremely important um, to offer. And uh, we work with the merchants to understand with a, a credit um, sort of check provider in the background, as your customers input the details on the payment page, well, actually, how can that dynamically, um, you know, propose a, a checkout um, that, that offer uh, Rechnungszahlung invoice payments um, if if meeting all the certain financial conditions in the background to avoid the frustration because what you don't want is to offer um, invoice payments or, or buy now pay later and then subsequently that customers will be will be rejected. So again, that's an example that can sort of uh, um, answer that question. So yes, there are there are variables in markets and and based again, there is a business case to be to be derived. But there is the 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 the, the possibility to engage with your payments gateway to dynamically offer certain subsets of payment methods. I suppose continuing on a similar theme, you know that that second question there. There's there's one thing which says I will localize my payment type for ideal or for invoice payments or whatever it may be. But in terms of active steering, um, whether that be on conversion or on uh, cost, um, when we talk to our clients about moving from, you know, an almost alphabetical or, you know, what you selected last time preference to one where you say, I actively want you to pick X versus Y, they sometimes feel a little bit itchy that the regulator is going to stamp on them and say, well, no, it's customer choice. You shouldn't be promoting one over the other. And you've seen regulators such as those in Sweden actively requiring merchants Mm -hmm. to promote some debit type payments over credit type payments. Again, it'd be great to get uh, your your views on that steering, the active steering question. Uh, again, I don't know, Chris, whether you want to... I think before, before we go to active steering, I think one thing that's also quite important in this space is when you've got a payment type that the local government has enforced. So if you think about pay by bank in the UK, when you now pay your government taxes in the UK, you have a pay by bank option. 
Okay, and and I think that that's helpful for us as an industry in terms of um, giving a validation to this is a payment type that I'm going to be used to as a consumer because I do it for my taxes, and therefore when I see it on a merchant site, I'll feel more comfortable doing that. Um, so w- one discussion, and you said it's it's a it's a delicate conversation, but in terms of inciting move towards an APM, uh, clearly the. The costs linked with a pay-by-bank transaction, for example, in the UK are very different to the cost to acquire that through a merchant process, through a card scheme. Um, And there is the potential to pass that through to the consumer in terms of a deduction or a voucher to go and spend again. Um, And I think that there are a number of our merchants that are looking at that as a way to incentivize a pay-by-bank route rather than the the card route. Uh, But again, you need to be very careful in terms of the local regulation and what's allowed. um, But that's definitely an area that we've seen uh, merchants consider. Cool. Sounds good. Kim, any views? I think it's it's a balance, right? I mean, coming back to consumer perspective it, it, you know you don't want to also at the end of the day you want to sell right as a, as a merchant so you don't want to also make it too hard for a consumer to kind of you know scroll through etc to just to pay at the end of the day so I, I think it's a real balance um, yeah great you want to reduce costs from a merchant perspective and I absolutely understand that um, but it's also a level of focusing on the consumer journey because I think, you know, there's also a consumer journey from a, a payment method perspective. You know, I think you touched on, you know, multiple channels. So are you on your mobile checking out or are you online or on a computer? Um, different consumer journeys, which will work uh, less or more effective. Um, but also just considering again, is it the fee reductions that we want to focus on or is it, is it cost optimization and therefore perhaps the, uh, driving revenue through uh, the choice of, of payment methods rather than only kind of a cost mm. reduction? So uh, pushing, yeah, it, it's a big balance. And, and I think at the end of the day, again, the consumer should be at the, the focus of that. Control. That sounds good. Um, Maybe just moving on, because I know you guys touched on it when you were talking uh, earlier, Max and Timo. In terms of when something goes wrong, you know, do you have a hierarchy that says, well, you know, the customer tried their card, it, it declined, now present X? Presenting the same card again may result in the same issue. Maybe starting with you guys, I mean, do you have a view on, on that sort of hierarchy? Of uh, of payment types or sequence, even it fully fully depends on the kinds of merchants that we're working with. Because for some merchants, productivity of payment methods differs fully from the others, and um, some merchants also put different focuses in terms of their payments priorities and payments KPIs. Um, but if you look at conversion. I mean, there's, there's smart retry possibilities on the card side. So you can first of all stay within the same payment method and then move towards payment methods that are highest ranking in terms of approval rates for that merchant industry specifically. And that needs to be determined based on data and based on data analysis and understanding what the merchant approval rates profile looks like so that then you can choose, okay, does it make sense to then afterwards go with, um, for example, 
a pay by bank or open banking solution that you want to um, try out as a, as a next step, or whether you want to offer a PayPal solution within within a country which is um, very high ranked in terms of um, customer preference. So it's unfortunately the, the answer is it depends. It depends. It depends on on data and analysis and um, what the what the merchant profile really um, really needs. Cool. Any reason whether you've got any? Uh, yeah, I think some very similar veins, right? So first, I think like it's like sort of like silent and background um, uh, uh, um, changes you can do. So retry, route to a different processor um, to see basically actually you can, if you can recover the transaction. The second player is like, obviously when it doesn't work, like actually let the customer know what happened. If it's insufficient funds or maybe there's expired card, they can actually uh, change something within the payment instrument to actually make it work. Uh, and if that is not going to be successful, then you sort of like start guiding them into different payment methods, right? And also like, you know, if it's a fraud reject, like you can actually try to get them to pay with maybe an Apple Pay because it has like lower fraudulent, it has like um, lower fraud rate on that, right? So I think like this, like, yes, this, I think there are layers like background, try to get them to rectify with the same payment method, uh, changing details, and then potentially guide to a different uh, payment instrument. But it- I think it's also like also that's at the checkout stage, but it's also before you get there. I think there should be considerations around potentially looking to combine payment methods. I think ideal was mentioned before. This is pretty well known. I think for the Netherlands as a real time one off banking, um, but I still see for the subscription people, you know. Um, quite a lot of people don't still kind of understand that you can actually then put separate direct debit off the back of it. Mm-hmm. So you you kind of you know your your customer journey on the first transaction is is you know a much better journey, and you as a company get the better guarantees of the real time banking solution. But off of the back of that, you can kick off a separate direct debit, which still um, then is the kind of cost element and, and kicks off the subscription planning. So it's about, I, I think, looking at it also, okay, not just like, oh, we're trying with this and then going to this, but okay, yeah, is there partners that can help combining as well? Mm. I mean, that's something that we've started to do quite a lot of work on these hybrid payment types, particularly with open banking, combining the best of a one-time payment with a, a direct debit. I, I don't know whether any of the other panel members have got views on where the merchant starts doing the heavy lifting of combining bits of, bits of payment functionality to deliver better customer outcomes. I don't know I just want to comment on, on what Kim said. Um, you know, of course, um, when you assess the, the overall business case of deciding to implement a payment methods or, or, you know, there, there's of course the, the direct cost of acceptance, but there's also all the indirect cost of acceptance and transaction speed is, uh, um, is, is super important when we engage with, uh, IT stakeholders, particularly on certain projects. You know, I'll, I'll give an example exactly. In Germany, you know, there is the, the Java card schemes at points of sales, but you also have the Sipalashrift, um, the direct Direct debits at the point of sales, and and you know uh, the partners word line that different partners that, that that we have that have have a different products that are, of accepting those transactions at the point of sales. And again, as part of that business case, you know, is not only the cost of acceptance is beyond. Uh, the, it's also about the customer's experience. And for example, the tap and go limit at fifty euros. Well, you can offset that with uh, with the, the sort of product at the point of sales, and therefore generate um, further values because of the transaction fees and non-authentication at the on the terminal device beyond the 50 euros limit so that's a very german specific um example but again just to to your comment about you know as part of the overall um 
business case. There is the direct cost acceptance, but there's also the values from the solution in terms of transaction speed, in terms of, uh, you know, the authorization time, the latencies, all those sorts of variables that are uh, extremely important to, to, to assess. There's a, a question coming in from the audience. We've got about five minutes to go. So if you do have any burning questions, please uh, pop them uh, on the board. Otherwise, you'll have to contact the guys after the time. But um, uh, there's a question here um, about you know how you keep it simple, how you prioritize. But maybe I'll ask that question more generically. That's predicated on data, right? So you pick, you use data to pick preferred payment type, which I know you guys have spoken before, but in terms of getting hold of the data that you need to make those decisions, have you found that that's a relatively easy thing to do or actually it's a massive issue and requires a project in and of itself to get the information you need in order to be able to answer these questions? So, you know, it's a question, I, it was maybe Chris, you start with your... Or, okay. probably more from not, perspective. <laughs> yeah. so it's use, more, more relevant. Uh, no, absolutely. I think like uh, this is obviously part of a uh, process like whenever we think about a new payment method in different regions, right? So typically the process we have identified is obviously we do a market research, like if there's an upcoming payment method, like what uh, the local uh, employees or the local uh, consumers are telling us. But in terms of actually validating how to do it, what we do is that uh, we do what we call like a uh, smoke testing or fake door testing, we actually just put the option in the checkout and actually see how many consumers are actually tapping on it just to see actually like, hey, if there is actually um, uh, usage from our consumers before we actually build out the entire thing. We obviously limit it to a small percentage of traffic. When you click on it, we just select, like, find it's coming soon, it will be available soon. But it gives us a lot of indication whether our customers are actually going to pay with it. Uh, and that's how we typically uh, do that. And obviously paired with customer research as well. Uh, we send out a survey like saying that, hey, couldn't pay, up, uh, couldn't pay or if there's a payment method you would like. Um, so that's typically how we run the process of thinking about uh, what payment methods to be offered. Uh, and then again, I think there's a second part of the question is about like it gets messy, right? So how do you actually have not like 10 or 15 different checkout options? Um, so I think it's like you have to have a very clean IA, only show the top payment methods and maybe hide or um, collapse uh, the long tail of payment methods. I think like it's important to have a clear IA uh, so that not, not as to clutter the checkout page with too many payment options. I would just add that you're you're unlikely to be the first merchant that is going through this thought process, mm -hmm. yeah. And so engage with the banks, with the the third party vendors as well that you're dealing with to have that conversation. They will have the knowledge of what other uh, merchants are doing in that market, what's been successful. They will have some data that they can share, um, anonymized in terms of what what the bank thinks or what the uh, the provider thinks. So I think it's really relying on those partnerships that you have to to guide you, and then keeping it simple once you've made that decision and you've you, you've seen the the information from those other parties and other providers keep it simple cool where are the guys here kim you want to add anything to them um yeah i think it's been covered pretty well i could maybe take it at slightly more macro level which is similar kind of ideal but uh you know typically a similar kind of uh, pain point or difficulty is also with people trying to process locally you know mm -hmm. from a global perspective without local entities and and it's a very similar kind of you know uh, what are we going to do we want to process but we don't want to invest in a legal entity there etc so we're seeing a lot more demand for that kind of um you know ability where we that's also a strategic focus of us is to service as many kind of markets like that um without a local entity and that gives 
a couple of things. It, it gives uh, merchants access to the market and and uh, increased basically local market coverage because you get you know the local payment methods, uh, banking stuff that's not so much cross border. There's also the fee estimate, but it's also um, depending on the the business, it can be um, interesting because it also gives an ability even for the traditional market players, for example. Uh, who have local entities and the luxury of that, sometimes they have an initiative, right, which is then they want to keep the P&L by the headquarters. Uh, and, and this gives them an, an opportunity to process locally and access those uh, payment methods, um, but then keep the P&L back there. So a little bit of a tangent, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but, um, you know, kind of it, it, at the end of the day, it's the, the same pain point of, of how do I get access to these new um, customer journeys and, and potentially new customers. Um, yeah. Cool. Thank you. I'm aware there was one question for the CMPSI guys, but I'll, I'll let you take that one offline if that's okay. No Partly because we've got three seconds left. <laughs> um, so uh, first of all, thank you ever so much to the panel members um, for their time today. Thanks for tuning in to the official MPE podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the show and check other video interviews with other industry leaders on our YouTube channel. For more content, follow Merchant Payments Ecosystem on LinkedIn and Twitter. Don't miss out on our Positivity magazine and remember to subscribe to the MPE newsletter at www.merchantpaymentsecosystem.com.